Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. And if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of John, chapter 18, as we prepare to go into chapter 19. Well, let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, thank you for it. And we ask you, God, now as we would read, that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, and you would bring us into a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to start in verse 28. This is where we left off last time. We remember that Peter was found outside the gate after Jesus had been arrested. Then we remember that he was found inside the gate. And then we find that he was warming himself by the fires of the world. Again, we have talked about this many times. Most Christians won't immediately backslide. It is a progression. It's first we find ourselves looking into what they're doing. Then we find ourselves in, but not necessarily what they're doing. And then finally, uh, being part of what they are doing. And this is where, of course, Peter denied the Lord three times. Well, Jesus has been arrested. This is all part of Jesus's ultimate plan. Jesus is still in control, even though man thinks he is. And so it says that they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. The Praetorium is where Pilate lived. It was also, it was kind of the palace. Some of your Bibles may say palace. Some of them might say uh, a judgment place or whatever, but it was their part of the government building and Jesus was brought there. And it was early in the morning But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, that they might eat the Passover. Now, speaking of they, this is the Sanhedrin. These are the religious leaders that sought to kill Jesus. Now, I look at this, and this is really weirdo stuff in the Bible. You like weirdo stuff? Here's one of them. Here it is. Let's look. They led Jesus. Speaking of the religious leaders of the day, they led Jesus... From Caiaphas, the high priest, to the praetorium, or where Pilate lived. It was early in the morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they would be defiled. Isn't it funny? They are plotting murder, but holding on to the religious ideas. Isn't that strange? How we can have an idea of what religion is, and be completely 180 degrees off from what God says. I look at this, and it really is pretty surprising to me. They are so religious in their murder. I go, wow, God, how blind can people be? You know, I always want to be careful that I don't find myself doing that as well. Because the thing is, we can think we're so right that we become wrong. Now, what is right? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. The Bible's right. You know, if you want to know how God's going to judge the world someday, it's right here. This is it. This is the rule book. 
That's how God's going to judge the world. It isn't going to be, well, it's up to public opinion or anything goes or who gets the best warm fuzzy over this. The Bible says he's going to judge us from what this book says. That's why we need to know this book. Not a lot of psychobabble, not a lot of stuff about how I think so greatly of myself. I need to know what does God say about me? What does God say about the world? What does God say about us? And so, again, when you know God's word, Jesus said, it'll set you free. And when you're free, you're free indeed. Why are you free? Because you escape what's to come. Do you know that nags people's conscience into oblivion? I think this is why people get loaded. I think this is why they get stoned. I think they why, why they got to get a buzz on. Why? Because the future is unknown. And if I die, what will happen to me? And so it's better just to say obliterated and not think about it. Well, we know that that doesn't make the problem go away, does it? Well, he says... Pilate then goes out to them and says, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, I this is almost as if you would be watching an interview show of a politician. Are you ready for this? Pilate asked the question, what has he done? And notice what they say. They answered and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. You never said what he did. All you said was, he's an evildoer, or he is bad, or whatever. But what did he do? They don't say, because Jesus really didn't do anything. You see, this is how religious hypocrisy works within the world today. And friends, it's around today. I don't know how anybody with a clear conscience, believing they're serving God, flies an airplane into the Twin Towers. I really don't understand that. I don't understand how they blow people up in a marathon race. I don't understand that. I don't know how people in the name of religion do these things. Well, here in the name of religion, Pilate, a Gentile, doesn't care about God at all. He says, what has he done? And they say, well, if he wasn't bad, he wouldn't be here. Wow. You know, it's funny. When you want to hide the truth, well, they'll do the best they can. And Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore, the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, this, I believe at this point, probably caught Pilate's attention. That whatever he said he did, or they say he did, was worthy of death. Because Pilate says, look, I'm not into your thing here. He goes, you judge him according to your law. And they said, well, it's not lawful for us to put somebody to death. What's really strange, two years before this time that we're reading, the ability for Jews to put their own to death was taken away by the Roman government. Which is really interesting because if you go back to Genesis 49.10, there's a promise that says that the scepter will not depart from Israel until Shiloh comes. You say, what's that mean? The scepter was usually a carving, but what it was is who had that was basically their ruler. And it was their law. 
And what happened was their law was taken away from them. And the Romans said, you can no longer enforce your laws. Your laws are now going to be our laws. And we'll tell you what you can do and what you can't do. The scepter had departed two years before Jesus was brought before Pilate because the Jews had no longer the right to put somebody to death. Well, we look at this and we realize that the plot thickens. And so he says... That saying that Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Because Jewish people, when they executed somebody, they stoned them. They used real stones. The Romans used crucifixion. And so it is noteworthy here that to fulfill all the prophecies concerning Jesus in the Old Testament... Only Jesus could do that. There is no other room for any other Messiah. This is, again, we've talked about this so many times, and this is a question that's often asked on every man and answer. How do I know the Bible, or how do I know Christianity is the true religion? Seems like a legitimate question. Because only the Bible has prophecy in it. Two-thirds of the Bible was prophecy, or excuse me, one-third of the Bible is prophecy. Two-thirds have been completed. There's yet a remaining third. We know this is the tribulation period, I believe, which is up and coming. But what is amazing, only the Bible has prophecy. You take a religious book, you write a bunch of stuff in it, none of it comes true, what do you do? You dismiss it as being false. This is why the religious books of the world don't have prophecy in it. Book of Mormon don't have any prophecy in it. Quran doesn't have any prophecy in it. But the Bible's filled with prophecy. Why is that? Because God says, see, I have told you before. You know I'm telling you the truth. How do you know that? Only God lives outside of our time domain. In fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation uh, 22, he said, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. God lives in all times present. I don't know anything like that. Last night we went and bought milk in the store. And one of the things I always do when I buy milk, I don't know if anybody else is a germaphobe like I am, I always like to look at the date on the carton. Is it a week from expiring, two weeks from expiring, or has it expired already? I like to know. The last thing I like to do, and I don't know if anybody's ever done this, you see TV programs, I actually did this, poured a glass of milk, drank it, realized it was bad. I think we've all done something similar to that. I remember one time my aunt had the pastor over for dinner. They had spaghetti. They took the Parmesan cheese, sprinkled it on the cheese, and they began to notice that the cheese was moving. It had little worms in it, little white worms. And with that, they took the dinner off the table and all went out to dinner. The point simply is this. It is amazing to me that we live in time. God doesn't live in time. Everything we know has an expiration date. We, we look at our, our cars. We look at uh, our, our kids. You go over and see your friends you haven't seen for a number of years. And they don't look that much different. You say, well, where's your kids? And how come these big old kids like this? No, where's your little kids? That's them. Wow, Really? Has time moved that much? Yes, it does. And sometimes we're aware of it, friends, and sometimes we're not. But God lives in all times present. That's why he can put in his word the things that are about 
to take place. Now, again, when you look at, you know, and, and you say, well, there's a lot of people that were religious. Uh, they told the future. Like Notre Dame. Have you ever read Notre Dame by any chance? When the moon is in the seventh hour, Jupiter aligns with Mars, and the three stars above, and you go, what are you talking about? But when the Bible, as an example, in Luke 21 says, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And he goes on in Luke 21 and says, the generation that sees these things is the last generation. Friends, that would be us. This would be now. Jerusalem is under Jewish control. Didn't, in fact, when Jesus said that, it was under Roman control. So why then is it that I have to worry whether the word of God is true when God has already been there, told me what's going to happen, and I can trust in him? That's what makes Christianity, true Christianity, different than every other religion of the world. Why is that important? Because you put your faith and trust in him. The last thing I want to be doing is trusting in a lie. And this is what happens sometimes in the world. And this is why sometimes when you'll talk to people in different faiths, for instance, And you'll say, well, why do you believe what you believe? Well, I believe it because he said it, and I'm a member of that thing, and I'm the end. I don't want to be a pre-programmed robot. I want to have evidence for my faith. You know, I think true Christians have questioned whether the Bible is true or not. I really believe that. Because why do I believe this book? Well, I believe it because that's what I was told, and this is what I have to believe, and if I don't believe it, I'm fried. No. I believe it because there is evidence for your faith. You don't have to park your brain in neutral when you come in the church. You can find the city of Jericho. You can find the Jordan River. You can find the widow's might. You can find the prophecies that have not only come true, but are coming true right before our eyes. That, to me, is pretty exciting. That tells me that this is the real deal. And this is how God is going to hold the world accountable someday. And so as it says, and that saying Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. Not by stoning, like the Jews would have done two years before, but through crucifixion, as we find in Psalms 22. If you want to read about what crucifixion is like, read Psalms 22. King David wrote that thousands of years before. It's amazing prophecy that, that David was inspired with when he wrote that. So he says, Pilate then entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him. Now, friends, this is amazing because this lets you know who's still in control. This person, Pilate, who could immediately sentence Jesus to death, asked Jesus a question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds to him. Are you speaking for yourself on this or did others tell you this about me? Jesus then puts him with the question. Now, who's in control here? Pilate asked him, and then Jesus said, are you asking for your benefit or because this is what you've heard about me? 
I think that's kind of interesting that Jesus is the one that's still ultimately calling the shots here. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? In fact, when we get up into the next chapter, he says, where are you from? I think he actually began to realize that Jesus was not just the average guy that he's seen in his life. Well, notice it says, are you speaking about yourself or are you speaking about me? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should be delivered into the, hand, into the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king? Then Jesus answered, you rightly say that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I would bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. This next verse, I think, is one of the most important verses that we find in this chapter. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Do you realize, friends, that this one verse is what has destroyed America? Do you realize that? Talked a little bit about this a few weeks ago. It's called relativism. And many years ago in the colleges in America in the 50s, 60s, and primarily 60s and 70s, a thought and theory of relativism, relativism entered our society. You say, well, what is that? Well, right isn't really all that right. Wrong isn't really all that wrong. It's how you look at it. That's what relativism is. That's why you can murder a baby in the mother's womb. But if you take a condor egg in California, you're sentenced to 20 years in prison. That's why you can murder somebody, gun somebody down on the streets, and yet if you don't pay your parking tickets, you're put, placed in jail, but a murderer can roam the streets after the paperwork is done. Makes no sense. So in order for you to have laws in your world, you have to have what's called truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is established. We'll see what a group of these so to speak, professors came along saying, well, who's to say what is true? True is relative. If I feel that killing somebody is a good thing, then I am justified in doing it. And so this is what is entered into our society. This is something I believe is what Pilate was addressing here. What is truth? You know, it's funny, again, Jesus right before that says, that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You know what that tells me? There's absolutes. In other words, there are things, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, this is the way that it is. Now, the reason why truth is truth is because truth looks at all aspects of the point. I don't know if you're following me here. Let me explain. Somebody might say, well, I don't see what's wrong about painting the windshield of my car. 
I mean, I feel, I believe that that's a truth that I want to experience. Look how pretty it is. Well, the point is, though, when you carry it out, if you drive that car, you cannot see where you're going. You will run into something. Therefore, the truth of their mentality is flawed. The Bible says what is required for a society to exist. That's why the Bible talks about murder. In fact, if you go to the Ten Commandments as an example, which, by the way, friends, were never meant to justify man. It was meant to show you what God's standard is. In fact, anybody that's ever tried to live by the Ten Commandments knows you can't do it. And this is what, when Jesus Christ came in with his salvation and forgiveness, this is when the Gentiles started getting saved. We remember when Peter went back to Jerusalem, they said, look, none of our fathers could keep the Ten Commandments. Why are we placing them under the Ten Commandments? Friends, this is what is called grace. This is what we live under. Now, that doesn't make the truth any less effective. Now, let me explain that. We say lying is wrong. That is wrong. But here's the point. If lying is wrong, then it's always wrong. But do we always tell the truth? I think it's interesting, some of the different videos that we've shown here, and and they'll walk up to somebody and they'll say, in witnessing, they'll say, are you a good person? Uh, Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Uh, How good a person are you? Well, I'm I'm, I'm better than a guy next door. Well, have you ever lied? Uh, No. You mean you've never told a single lie in your whole life? Oh, well, yeah, I guess I have lied. Well, what would that make you? That'd make you a liar, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, I guess so. How many murders do you have to commit to be a murderer? Just one, okay? The law identifies what is wrong or what God's standard is, shows us where man is at. Now, the grace of God, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, does not negate the blackness of sin. But what it does, it provides forgiveness for that sin so we don't live in it any longer. See, there's a big difference because a lot of times people think, well, since I'm a Christian, uh, where Paul even says all things are lawful, but not all things are the best for me, that means I can go out and sin, ask for God's forgiveness with no repercussions. Friends, that's not the way it works. That's why God doesn't want us to sin. Because when we sin, we hurt ourselves. Because, again, getting back, I want to paint my windshield... I'm going to drive into things. Well, can I be forgiven for my windshield being painted? Yes. Whatever it is in your life that you blind yourself to, that think this isn't going to put a hurting on me. Well, we go and we do that. Well, here's what the bottom line is. There's consequences for what we do. This is why sin is sin. Sin isn't God being a cosmic killjoy saying, aha, I don't want my followers to have any fun. You know, a lot of people have goofy ideas like this. I'm serious. They have strange concepts of God. The reason God doesn't want us to sin is because we don't know the down the road consequence. So yes, as a Christian, am I forgiven when I sin? Yes, I am. But that sometimes doesn't stop the repercussions of what I've done. See, In other words, there's a compelling in the Bible, in truth, 
to do what God's called us to do. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. People go, oh, Mike, you're getting under the law here. No. What were the two commandments? They came to Jesus. What are the two most important? Well, they came to Jesus. They said, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus said to love your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. That means all of you loves God. And he says the second is likened to it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said this, which is so wonderful. He said, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. If you want to summarize, so the two things we do as Christians today, love God and love our fellow man. Now that's pretty simple. Doesn't get a whole lot easier than that, but that's what God has called us to do. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.